says. And let's go ahead and stand for the reading of the word. It says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were, for, who were the first to hope in Christ might also be to the praise of his glory. Rich, you can come up here. Heavenly Father, um, again, I just want to thank you for my brother Rich. I ask that you would be with him as he preaches. I ask that you would be with us as we listen. Lord, give him a voice to speak your words. Um, and Lord, give us ears to hear. Lord, we ask you would soften our heart. The, the things that stand between us and you as we learn about you and as we invest ourselves in you, we ask those things would be torn down. And we just ask that you'd move through your word in a powerful way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Um, good morning. Um, as Tony said, my name's Rich. And uh, again, if you're, if you're here for the first time, we're welcoming you. We're, we're glad that you're here this morning. Now, um, for those who, who, who get to know me for really any period of time and, and, and get to talk to me about things that really don't matter a whole lot in this world, um, but um, you come to know that I'm a big fan of movies. Uh, and, and today, as I've grown older and wiser and more mature, as I clearly am, um, I, I would say that I love film. And so, um, so independent film and, and prestige movies and foreign film and documentaries. And I do. I love all those things. I love to watch those things. Um, but that, that, that's not always who I was. When I was younger, if you tried to put a drama or a foreign film or anything like that, that would be nothing that interested me. When I was a kid, I liked two kinds of movies. Movies with spaceships and silly comedies. And I, and I would, and we had, you know, we had cable, so we watched a lot of silly comedies. Um, and I've noticed that, uh, you know, starting in, in the late 70s, moving through the 80s, um, there was a plot in some of these silly comedies that kind of came up over and over and over, and here's how it went. Um, so, so there was a will involved, and there was a lonely, rich old man who has a fortune to give away, but he hates all of his heirs. Uh, and so he comes up with some weird, crazy plan to make them jump through all sorts of bizarre hoops before they can receive their inheritance. Um, in, in one of my favorites, uh, a he's a game manufacturer. He made his, made his fortune um, making board games. Um, and, and to get his fortune, what everybody had to do is they had to participate in a huge citywide scavenger hunt in the city of Los Angeles. And, base, and they couldn't buy anything, so they had to go beg or borrow or steal all sorts of bizarre items, including things like a working toilet from a bathroom, zoo animals, and the fattest person that they could find. And he had this huge list of things. They had to, they had to solve the puzzles and then find the things and then bring them back. And, and the team of heirs uh, who, who did that, who, who got all the stuff, got the fortune. Now, this wasn't the only movie that they used. I said this was a plot that came over. There was another one where, uh, where a man had to spend, he got $30 million, but he had a month to spend it without anything to show for it. And then he, if he got that, he got $300 million. And there's another one where 
Um, he basically the guy just lied about how sick he was and how how infirm he was to all and tried to make his family all see who could who could kiss up to him the most who could who could fill his every whim and, and that would be the person to give the money to. Um, as I said, I don't know why so many movies were made about about bitter old men giving away wills, but they were, they were funny, so I guess that's why. Um, but those movies all had similar ideas about inheritance, about, about a gift that a person who was dying um, would give. The first was that the giver did not want to give his away his fortune. Um, to the people who were supposed to receive it. He did not want to give it. He, would, you know, he wanted to hold on to it as long as he could, and when it was done, he, he didn't want anybody to have it. Um, but he realized he had to, so he, 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 he grudgingly gave away the gift. Um, the second thing was the gift requires all sorts of efforts by the heirs uh, to receive it. They had to go through so much, uh, so, so much physical and, and mental and, and emotional problems to, to, try to, to try to get the will or the, the, the uh, inheritance from the will. And then finally, um, they had in common that all of the undeserving heirs wanted the inheritance to spend on their own desires and their own interests. You, you see that the characters who grew were the ones who could be a part of it, but most of them were just greedy, and they just, they just wanted this so they, they could use all of this money for themselves. Um, the passage that we're reading today basically gives us the exact opposite of all those things. This passage is about an inheritance, and that's about the only thing that, they have in, that this passage has in common with those ideas of the grudging, gr- the, the grudging person not wanting to give away his stuff. Here in our passage, we have a giver that gladly wants to give to his heirs. Um, we have an inheritance that there are no hurdles to jump through to get. It is freely given, gladly, by the giver. And we have an inheritance that the recipients don't want to use for themselves, but they want to use it to serve another. Um, this inheritance is summed up, uh, and I think First uh, John 3, chapter 1, and it explicitly as it's stated in the New International Version, um, kind of sends a bit. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. God has lavished on us the greatest gift there could possibly be, the inheritance that we're talking about today, and that is the gospel, the story of what God has done for us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is no greater gift. There is no greater treasure. And that gift, that inheritance, leads to a grateful, loving response from his children, us. For the gospel is a loving inheritance from our God that we use for his glory. The gospel is a loving inheritance from our God to us that we use for his glory. So we are talking about inheritance, and when you have an inheritance, the first thing that you need for inheritance is the giver. You need someone who's going to give the inheritance, someone to leave it to somebody else. And here in our passage today, we see that the inheritance that we have comes from God. The inheritance comes from God. Verse 11 um, tells us, uh, uh, and you get halfway through, it talks about the inheritance, and then it says the inheritance um, was having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, um, that label, him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that's just a big sentence, descri- or a big phrase describing God. 
and that, what does that tell us about God? Well, it tells us that God is in control of all things, that, that everything that happens, happens, because in some way it is God's plan that it happens, and it is God's will um, that it happens. God is in control of the circumstances of this world. That does not mean that bad things don't happen. That doesn't mean that there isn't suffering. But all of those things work together in a way that God has orchestrated uh, for, us, for us to live through, for us to experience, and for us um, to, uh, to come and appreciate um, his rule over us. And because God controls all things, he, he is in control of why we receive this inheritance. Um, it tells us that this president, that, um, that the inheritance is having been predestined. We have been predestined for the inheritance. That means that we were selected for it, that we were chosen by God simply because we are his and we were always going to be his. Um, as we saw back in verse 4, you know, this is, we're picking up here um, at verse 11. We've had a little break, but, but this passage, I think, is really great because it just looks back at themes that we've been talking about in Ephesians over and over. And verse 4 says that even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Um, he chose us. Uh, before there was anything, he knew who his children were. Um, he chose his children. Uh, it was not because of anything we did. And the book of Romans tells us that we were made his, that, that he loved us and he wanted us before we could do anything good or bad. It, it wasn't because of some merit that we had that God chose us. It, it's not because of who we, who we are or who we were. Uh, Romans also tells us that we were made his when we were still sin sinners, when we were still people who were against him, who, when we, who hated him, who, who, were, who were his enemies. He loved us. He chose us. Um, we who are his are his first and foremost because that is what God wanted. And that is what God always wanted. Um, like it said in those verses, verse 4 and 5, we are his chosen children and he loves us. And so that is the God who gives. A God who has his children, who knows his children, who has chosen his children forever and ever and who loves them deeply. Now, when you have an inheritance, and normally what would happen with an inheritance is you have this giver, and, but the giver doesn't give the inheritance until something happens. And, that, and then ha what happens is that the giver dies. Um, for there to be an inheritance, there, there must be a death. And God required a death for this inheritance to pass to us. Um, we look at, look at us, and, and we see our sin, our, 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 and our sin is our desire to serve ourselves, to worship ourselves, to please ourselves over all things. We ignore God, and, and, and we love ourselves. And, and that lifestyle, that, that nature of who we are, violates God's holiness, and it merits God's wrath. Uh, and God's wrath is eternal death, eternal separation um, from him. Uh, our sin required a death. Um, but, but the great glory of this inheritance is, is that we didn't have to give that death. Instead, Jesus Christ came, he took our sin, and he gave us his righteousness. Uh, my, favorite passage, my favorite verse of scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took our sin, bore it himself, and he made us him, his perfect sinless life. 
and he did that by dying for us. Um, Romans 3 tells us that it was his substitutionary sacrifice, or big churchy where we use propitiation, substitutionary sacrifice of his blood, um, his death. And when we say his blood, we're talking about his death. It is his death which saved us, and we see that um, back in verse 7 here that we looked at. In him we have redemption through his blood. Uh, through his blood, it is death. God required a death for, just like the law requires, a death for an inheritance to pass. God required a death for the inheritance to pass, uh, to pass to us. Um, and what is this thing, what, this story that we talk about is the gospel. We talk about that all the time around here. Um, the good news that Jesus died to reconcile those who are his, his chosen children, um, who come to him and trust in his sacrifice. And understand, that was always his plan. It's not as if God created the world and said, hope it goes well, and then bad things happen. He's go, what am I going to do now? It was always his plan. Verse 9 and 10 uh, in, in Ephesians chapter 1 said, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. It was always his plan to take his chosen children and show us his great love for us by sending Jesus Christ to die for us so that we could receive this inheritance. Uh, and, and, and it was that way from the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve first sinned. God said, I curse this creation. I curse you, but I have a promise. And that promise is that your child will one day crush the, the sin that drove you away from me. And that's what he did through Jesus Christ. We see uh, in the book of Isaiah where, um, where, God, where um, uh, Isaiah tells us that it pleased God to crush his son, that it was his will to crush his son. It was never something else. It was always his plan to give us uh, this inheritance through the death of Jesus Christ. We see that God, the giver, gives us the inheritance through the death of Jesus Christ. So here we have a giver. The giver is God. We have a death. The death was Christ. What else do you need for an inheritance? You also need something to give. There has to be a gift because that, that's the inheritance. We're talking about an inheritance. And, and so, we, what, you know, when, when, when somebody gets a call and says, you have an inheritance, you have, you have, and you're like, what did I get? Okay, there's, there's a thing that you're supposed to get. And our passage tells us, our passage tells us that the inheritance is a thing that is given to us. It says in verse 11, on the very beginning of verse 11, uh, it says, we have obtained the inheritance. And, and that, that, that phrase, that whole phrase, is actually one word uh, in, in the original language. And, and, and the word traces back to the idea to receive an allotment. Because sometimes I'll say, I obtained something, which means I went out and I got it. You know, that's, that's I, I got it. I am man. I went and, fed, and hunted and, fed, and, yeah, yes, I got it. I obtained that. No, this is not that. This word means the opposite of that. It's an allotment. It was something that was set aside to be given, not something I went and earned. Um, we don't earn it. We don't, we, we don't merit it. It is given to us, this inheritance. We are the recipients of this great gift, this great love that he has lavished on us through the death of Christ. We are the great, uh, great recipients of this gospel. Okay, so, so what's great? So what's the good, what's the good stuff in there? Uh, okay, <laughs> I think it's a fair question. What makes this a great inheritance? Um, we say that God has lavished on us this thing, but what is it about what is it about the gospel that shows us it's a lavishing of love on us? If you know, basically, an inheritance you'd say that you were lavished by an inheritance 
if it was a lot of stuff. I mean, let's be honest, right? It's like, hey, I left you 50 bucks. I'm like, all right, I, I can pay some of my cell phone bill for a month. Thanks. Okay, no, it, it, for, for, for you to feel truly lavished, it's like, no, it's, it's got to be a big deal. It, it is. The gospel is, is a great, great, um, great gift. A great inheritance that we um, receive from God. There's so much bound up, and I'm going to try to try to capture several of them today. We're going to look at some passages that that kind of expose, like, what is it that we actually get through the gospel? Because some people said we get our sins forgiven, and that's it. No, it's it's. There's a lot. There's this grand scheme of so many things we get. Let's look at some of them. We're going to look at these through what I call the three stages of the Christian life. We we talk in church a lot about these three words: justification, sanctification and glorification. It's like you start with justification at the point um, that, you, that you come to Christ, that you become a Christian. You talk about sanctification, that's the human life, and then you get to glorification, and that's what happens after we die. We'll look at these three stages. We're going to see all the things that Christ gives us, uh, that God gives us through Christ uh, it, as part of the inheritance. So first, um, let's look at what God has already given us. Let's look at what God has already given us, and that is salvation. Um, God has given us salvation. And what we mean is that we have, he has saved us um, from our sin. Let's look at Colossians um, chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. Those are going to be up behind me. Uh, and, and they say this, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Um, this passage contains three um, things that I saw that we get out of salvation. First of all, we are set free from sin. It describes, uh, this passage describes who we were when we were sinners. Um, alienated, hostile in mind, and committing evil deeds. So we were separated from, from relationship with, with God. We were aliens. Um, aliens are not of us. They are separated. So we were not of God. We were separated from him. Um, we were hostile in mind. Why were we separated from him? Because we hated him. We hated him. We, um, you know, I know there's lots of people who's like, well, I was, you know, my, my wife was like six years old when she became a Christian. It's like, how much could a six-year-old hate Christ? You know, it, it's, it's but, but we were. That's, that's who we were in our nature. We inherit that. That's not just because I like stood up one day and said, God, I hate you. No, that, that's because we live lives that were all about ourselves. Um, that saying, I'm the most important thing in this world, God isn't, that's hatred. That is hatred towards God, and we, and, and we were like that. We lived like that. We were alienated, hostile in mind, and so we did evil deeds. We lived to serve ourselves, uh, even when that was contrary to what God wanted from us. Um, that, uh, that, that is the sinners that we heard, but, but that, and that's what we were trapped in. We, we couldn't do anything about it. That's what we wanted to be. Um, but this passage tells, says us that, and you who once, who once were alienated, and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Um, that was who we were. We don't, have, we don't bear that anymore. We're not trapped by our sin anymore. Um, we are set free. We are no longer bound to sin. We receive freedom um, from sin. What else do we see? We, we, we receive forgiveness um, for sin. Uh, the passage says, He has now reconciled um, us in his body of flesh by his death. Um, we have been reconciled. Reconciled means that our, that our sins 
not only are we set free from him, but they're, they're not held against us. God has forgiven us, and he has restored relationship. Our sin, while we're in it, makes it relationship with God impossible. He is incredibly holy, and we are you know, holy, pure, clean, righteous. All those words, we in our sin, incredibly not. Incredibly stained and dirty and evil. And God said, no, I forgive you. Through Christ, I forgive you. Um, you are now reconciled to me. Um, we see freedom from sin. We see forgiveness from sin. We see cleansing from sin. A lot of times, and for a long part of my Christian life, um, the first 10 to 12 years of my Christian life, it's like, okay, I'm a Christian, and now I got to go out and be a Christian and work hard, and I still sin. Oh, God, why do I sin so much? Please help me. I don't want to sin so much. I, am I even a Christian? I don't know. And that's how I lived because I didn't believe this. I didn't believe that he has now reconciled us in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. We are now, we're not going to be. We're not going to be holy and blameless before him. We are. What did that? His death. His death, his, recon his, his reconciling to us through the death of Christ made us holy and blameless before him. That has been done already. God looks at us and sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ because that is who we are in him. We are clean um, from our sin. Seems hard to believe when we sin, and we do. We, we, we still fight. We're still in flesh. We're, we're still... Um, you know, we still have feet of clay and, and all these biblical scriptures. Like, yeah, we still struggle. Even, even Paul said, I, 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 do, I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I want to do. Um, that was Paul. And I always think like, Paul, me, you know. And uh, on the level of closeness to God, that's actually not a thing. But, um, but you know, the sinful, the sinful work can make you think that. And like, <laughs> and, you know, you just, you, you feel it. But, but part of understanding this gift is understanding, no, that's, you're not the sinful sinner who keeps on sinning, even though we are sinners who keep on sinning. You, before God, are holy and righteous. You are cleansed from sin. If you struggle with sin, if you struggle with doubt, trust me, I know where you are. I've been there. Um, I beg you, trust in these things. Trust that you are free from your sin, that you are forgiven for your sin, and that you are cleansed from your sin. Trust that Christ's work for you was enough to make all of these things true about you right now. They are your gift. They are your inheritance. Receive them and trust that they are real. These things are real. So we see um, what God has already given us in salvation. We, we also see what God is currently giving us, and, and what he's currently giving us is a new identity. We are made a new people in him. Let's look at Romans um, chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. Um, Romans 8, 14 through 17. And those say... Um, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, 
in order that we may also be glorified with him. So this passage tells us at least three things um, that we get, uh, that, that we are currently receiving, that is currently true about us who are in Christ. The first is the Holy Spirit. Um, the Holy Spirit is one of the three persons of God. So when we say we have the Holy Spirit, we literally have God ourselves, which comes into our lives, which dwells in our heart. God, if you have trusted in Christ with your life and with your future, God himself lives inside of you. That's a pretty big deal. I mean, we're talking about, is this a big thing? That's a pretty big deal. The Holy Spirit comes to live in us. And what's he there for? He guides us. Um, he leads us. He grows us. He helps us uh, understand our sin better, to work against that. He, he grows us in a desire to be more like him. Um, he intercedes for us. He actually, and, and um, that's, uh, it, it talks about he, he, he goes between us and the Father and, and constantly advocating on our behalf that, yes, and it says he, the Spirit himself bears witness. He basically testifies that this is one of ours. This is one who Jesus died for. Um, he uh, advocates for us. Now, I'm not going to talk any more about the Holy Spirit right now because next week we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. Or the whole sermon is going to be about the work that the Spirit does for us. But, but that is a great, great gift that we are currently living in. We also see that we have adoption back in verse 5, adoption. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Another theme that we've seen in just this introductory paragraph um, to the book of Ephesians. We are beloved sons and daughters. We're not, um, you, you go back in times, so you look at kingdoms throughout this world. And, and those kingdoms, are you imagine a king seated up a throne far above all of his subjects and his subjects must come and perform whatever he says and he sends his soldiers out and he brings his jester in and he has, uh, he, you know, he has people catering to all of his physical desires and wants. Um, and, and they bow before him, and they fear him, and, and they must serve him because they, they, do not want, um, the, they, they do not want the king to be displeased with them, and because the king will do bad things to you if you are displeased with him. You can go to jail. You can be killed. So many bad things. That is not who we are in, in God. Because we are in Christ, we are God's sons and daughters. We are the beloved children of an absolute perfect father. Um, we are the, the children of an absolute perfect father, and a good father, um, a good father loves his children well. Um, so we have been adopted. We are sons and daughters. And we have community. You see, repeatedly through this, through this passage here in Romans 8, it says, uh, it, uh, it talks about who we are. We cry out a father. The spirit himself bears witness with our collective spirit. We are children, many children. We are many heirs. It, it talks about us in the plural. We are all together heirs. Now, when you have, when you have a family and a will, who, and you say, we have heirs, who are they? They're usually the different parts of a same family. Different parts of the same family. We have a family. We have a community. Um, Christ has given us a people to be together with. We are all his children, and thus we are brothers and sisters. Um, in other parts of the Bible, it refers to us as being all parts of one body. Um, we have each other. God has given us, um, a, given us other believers, has given us a church in which to love uh, each other, in which to serve each other, in which to experience the love that Jesus Christ has for us. Um, a great gift is part of what comes with our new identity in Christ. Now, uh, if you struggle with the Christian life, because sometimes, sometimes you may go, this is really hard, and I don't know that it's worth it. 
I don't know if it's worth it. I got the salvation, and I'm really thankful for that, but I don't know if I want to do all this other stuff. Um, trust that what God gives us is of really great value, that, that the having God inside of us is a really great, that being his child as opposed to a subject who, who serves at his whim and, and can be disregarded as whim. That is a good thing. And that we have a community of believers who loves us and, and cares for us is a good thing. These things have great value. They are better than the things of this world. When the things of this world go, you know, they break and, they're, and, and, and they rust. And, and my, you know, the Bible talks about how moths destroy and eat. And, and, and so many bad things happen. And eventually, you, you know, you, I always talk about how uh, you see pictures on the internet sometimes of there's a hearse with a U-Haul attached to it. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. Um, they, can, they, they can put it in the box with you, but it's not going the other side, okay? No, the things of this earth are better because they're things of internal value. They're a great value. Trust them, receive them, knowing that they are precious. Know that these things are precious. Um, so we've seen what God has given us in past, in present. Now let's look what he gives us in the future. And what he gives us in the future is a hope is a hope, or as a, a one pastor, I saw call it the all-satisfying joy of knowing him forever. Here, um, some verses out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, um, starting at verse 13 through 18, will be behind me, and it says, we also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal we're talking about our future we have a hope i want to use the word hope we don't use hope like the world uses hope, like, I hope I get that for Christmas. It's, I, that's, I wish I would have that for, no. Hope is we have a certainty of what is going to happen in the future. And what do we see? We see first resurrection. We see resurrection. He who raised Jesus will raise us also with him. Um, we look forward to a time that we die and our, uh, and our soul goes immediately to be with God. Our, our, our spirit is resurrected with him. And like Jesus, whose body was resurrected, we look forward to a day that our bodies will be resurrected, our souls and our bodies will be reunited, and we will live forever and ever in glorified, perfect bodies. Uh, um, death does not win um, when it comes to us. It merely takes us to who we were always meant to be in Christ. We will reign forever with him in a new heaven and a new earth, um, which... I don't reign really anywhere in this heaven, in this, you know, in this earth. So come on, that's a big, big deal, right? Um, so we receive resurrection. Um, we conquer the one thing we fear the most. That's death. Um, we, we get relief from suffering. Um, the passage describes us as wasting away, and we are. And as every year I get older, and every year something else hurts or doesn't work right, um, you realize we are wasting away. Um, we suffer physically, but that's not it. We can also suffer emotionally. We can suffer mentally. We can suffer spiritually with all sorts of hurt and pain because this is a cursed world. This is a world where sin uh, remains, where, where Satan roams free to do his worst. Um, this is a world that, that is not our home. 
And so we suffer. Um, in our flesh, we suffer. But God promised us that these sufferings are the words used up here in that passage where this light, momentary affliction. Light is, it's, it's, it's light. It's not huge. It's like that. Momentary. It's just a moment, and it's gone. Um, compared, uh, and that's what it feels like compared to the goodness of our future with him. If you have suffered, and I know there's people in here who have suffered great, great things, who are suffering right now, um, trust that, that when God says that is a light momentary affliction compared to how good it's going to be in the future, multiply your pain by 100 and think of that as joy. I mean, it's just, it's unfathomable how good the good is going to be to relieve you from suffering. So we have resurrection, we have relief from suffering, and we have eternity with God. Um, that passage from 2 Corinthians tells us that we, uh, that we are raised with Jesus, we are brought into his presence, and that those things are eternal. We get to, so we get to go to heaven, um, we get to be free from pain, free from sin, and glorified bodies, and that's never going to end. We are going to live forever. Our death is just a birth into that which is infinitely better. It's eternally weightier, heavier, um, and it's glorious beyond all comparison. Um, I've ex just like I've experienced suffering in this world, I've experienced great joy in this world. Um, I married the bride of my dreams, and that was joy. I saw my daughter born, that was joy. Saw the Royals win the World Series again, that was joy. Okay. The joy that awaits us is so much better than anything we experience on the, on the earth. So much better. Unfathomably better. So to you, I say, if you are struggling with suffering in this life, if you ever wonder if the pain is going to ever go away, trust that what God gives you through the gospel will provide meaning in and relief from your suffering that your pain and your labor will be comforted and rewarded. Receive these things, these, this resurrection, this relief, this eternity with God, and trust that they are certain. They will happen. We're not guessing. We're not wishing. We are trusting in the future. That is what we mean by hope. That is the inheritance. What he has given us through salvation, what he is, is currently giving us in our new identity in Christ, and what he will give us in our hope for the future. So we have a giver, we have a death, we have a gift, our inheritance in the gospel. Um, there's one other thing that comes with an inheritance, and that's an inheritance is meant to be used for some reason, um, to provide for loved ones. Um, some people leave great amounts of money to do good for mankind, set up a foundation, build a thing, a hospital. You know, inheritances are meant to be used. Every inheritance has a purpose. And our passage today tells us that this inheritance, the inheritance that we receive from the gospel, um, is, has a purpose. And that, inher and that purpose is ultimately for God. The inheritance that we receive is for God. Verse 12 in our passage today, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ. Now that phrase just means the church. The church were the first to hope in Christ, those who first came to him. The, uh, the we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory that we might be, we the church, might be to the praise of his glory. That is the purpose. Um, we are to exist for him. 
for his glory. A uh, theologian and minister, his name Michael Barrett, put it this way. Christ, his cross, and the completeness of his gospel must interfere with life. The gospel must be the focal point of every sin and point the way to piety. It is always the case that right thinking about the gospel produces right living in the gospel. Our lives um, are given to us. All these great things are given to us in the gospel so that we use them. How do we use them? Uh, how do we make the inheritance for his glory? First, we do it through Christ-likeness, through Christ-likeness. Because we have been saved, we have been set free from our sin, so it no longer defines us and it no longer controls us. We are free to obey God and to serve him. Um, Titus chapter 2, 11 through 12 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. We are called to give up ourselves, to give up the things of this world, to take the inheritance and use it for his glory by living godly, Christ-like lives. So Christ-likeness is one way which we use our inheritance for his glory. The second is mission. The second is mission. Um, because we have been given a new identity in Christ, we are called to represent him in the world, both in actions and in words. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore, and that therefore has been talking about the gospel right before that. So it says, Therefore, uh, because of the gospel, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. An ambassador is a representative. We represent Christ in this world. We serve Christ on his behalf and for his purpose. And that purpose is to make his appeal through us. We are here to tell the world about Jesus and to show them that Jesus Christ died for them and loves them. That is what we are here for. And, that, and in doing what we are here for in what we are meant to do, that is a way that we show God um, that, uh, that we are using what he has given us through the gospel for his glory. Last one, last point, um, because, and that is worship. We use, um, we use worship um, to give glory to God from our inheritance. Because we have the certain hope that he has guaranteed us a place in his eternal kingdom forever and ever, we are called to respond to that with worship. 1 Peter 2, chapter 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. All of those things mean the same thing. You are his children. Okay. Um, that you may do what? Proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Proclaim the excellencies. Um, other, other translations use proclaim the praises. We praise him. Um, we worship him because of what he has done for us in the gospel. He has taken us out of the darkness of sin, out of the darkness of being lost, out of the darkness of being condemned in his wrath, and he has raised us into light, into freedom from sin, into living in who he has called us to be. Uh, because he has chosen us, he has brought us into his kingdom, because he has given us his perfect love, because he loves his children and wants to give good things to his children, and because we love him for that, we praise him for that. We have been given a great inheritance in the gospel. Through Jesus Christ, he has lavished on us his great love. By trusting in what he has given us, and, we do, and, and doing that by living in that for his glory, through our Christ-like lives, through our mission to reach those who need the gospel, and through our never-ending worship of how great he is, we take the love 
that we, he has lavished on us and we lavish it back on him for his glory. Would you pray with me? Father, you are indeed a good, good father. We confess that it is all too easy to look at the day-to-day stresses and struggles and burdens our lives. Some of them are flippant, and some of them seem overbearing. And we can forget um, that you are a good, good father who has given a good, good gift. Lord, let us um, delight in what you have done for us through Jesus Christ. Let us trust and believe that we are saved and set free um, from our sins. Let us trust and believe that we can find our identity in you and that that is of great value. Let us trust and believe that we have a future where there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more night, but only glory with you forever. And Lord, let us trust these things know these things, and live out these things so that we can give you glory through our lives, through our work, and through our great praise and worship for you, Lord. Thank you for being so good to us that you sent Jesus Christ to reconcile us through to you through his life, his death, and his resurrection. Lord, Lord, we give ourselves to you out of this great and wonderful gift we lift up your name and we praise you in your son jesus christ's name amen